church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you this week. Well, this week we're going to continue our discussion in A Father Who Keeps His Promises, that book by Dr. Scott Hahn that we have been following. Today we're going to open up chapter 4 and discuss that situation with Cain and Abel where murder entered the world and sin persisted in the family of God. So that's going to be on our plate today, and I hope you're ready for that. But let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, glorious and wondrous God, once again we come before you to praise your holy name, to seek out your truth, to study and learn from salvation history, the story that you wrote, dear Father, with with your own word. And so we seek your mercy. We seek the inspiration of the Holy Spirit And we pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon us and guide us along this path, this journey. I lift up all who suffer and who need you most today, Father. And I ask for your provision for them and that you'll just be with them to comfort them, that they might know your presence in their lives. And so I seek them. I seek their grace for them. And I ask that our Blessed Lady intercede for them by praying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right, let's begin. Well, in the beginning of chapter 4 of A Father Who Keeps His Promises, it coincides actually with chapter 4 from Genesis, where we see the story of Cain and Abel. This immediately follows the fall in the garden where we left off last time where Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden because of uh, the sin there, because it was part of their penance you know, for bringing sin into the, the family of God, the human family. And so now Adam and Eve, they bear a son, and that son's name is Cain. Now it's interesting, in the, in the beginning of chapter 4, it actually says, quote, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, 
I think it's very important for us to remember this. I have gotten a man. We should remember that, uh, highlight that, underscore that in your Bible. That should be compared and contrasted uh, later on to the birth of Seth, and we'll talk about that just in a minute. But so we see Adam and Eve living outside of this paradise of Eden, trying to, you know, eke out a living now in labor. As you remember, that's part of the penance of of their uh, their the sin that they committed through their confession with the Lord, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, um, was to work in labor now. Adam would sweat, would toil from dripping from his head down onto the floor. Um, again, another beautiful image compared and contrasted to our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane with blood, you know, dripping from his head, falling onto the ground is, you know, linking us back, linking the two Adams, the first Adam and the last Adam together intimately. And so we see this, this journey continuing on, but now Adam and Eve raise up Cain and they also raise up Abel. Now, nowhere do we, are we told that these are only the children uh, that they bore. In fact, in Genesis 5, we're told that Adam and Eve had other children. So, you know, because it's always been interesting to me how the detractors of sacred scripture will say, you know, where did Cain get his wife? You know, where did a, you know, where did uh, Seth get his wife? And and so on and so forth. In fact, we'll see how Cain moves to the land of Nod. Where does that come from? The fact of the matter is, Adam and Eve were living out the very command of God. They received there in Genesis chapter 2 to go forth, be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill and subdue the earth. This was a command of God given to the first marriage couple, the married couple there, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2. And so they were having children. And so the scripture doesn't give us the details of all the children. Why? Because it wasn't necessary. Remember, in this, God is telling us the why, not the how. So he's not giving us the the blow-for-blow account of every little detail. He's trying to take us along the journey of salvation history. So a very important point to remember that, yes, Adam and Eve had other children that we don't even know their names. And we probably will never know their names this side of heaven. But we do know that they had them. And so here, God is focusing in on Cain and his brother Abel because a very significant event occurred in the lives of these two men that affects us even still today. So it's very relevant in our lives. And Genesis tells us that Abel was the keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. So Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer, basically. And it moves on to say that after some time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is couching at the door. It desi- its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, this is very interesting. Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord of what they do. Abel brings of the firstlings, the fat portion, the best he's got to offer, he brings to the Lord. Abel? We're not told Abel brings the best he's got to offer. No, he just brings what he has. And so there is an immediate comparing and contrasting right there between the two. And so 
Abel's offering is accepted while Cain's is rejected. But God does not, he does, he's not a mean God. He is a father. He is the father that all fathers need to model themselves after, myself especially. I need to see that the care, the care and tenderness that God has for Cain, even when he's rejecting Cain. So he's rejecting Cain's offering here. And still he consoles him and says, why is your countenance falling? Will you not be accepted if you do well? I mean, just come on, buck up, you know, let's get it right. You can do this. Let's go. And so it's very interesting that God is still fathering Cain, even though uh, his offering was rejected and Cain took this obviously very, very personally. And then his countenance did fall and he got very angry about the situation. Only he didn't handle the deal very well. Instead of listening to the advice, listening to the care and concern of his father and going back and trying again, instead, what does he do? He lures Abel out into the field and there he kills his brother Abel. Murder enters into the human race. At this moment, this is the only one recorded anyway. And so we see here how Cain rejects God's fatherhood. He rejects God and his, and his wisdom. He rejects his ways out of what? Out of envy. Now, envy is a particularly a grievous sin because unlike jealousy, you know, jealousy says, okay, well, for example, I have a neighbor who's got a nice, beautiful car, and I'm a little jealous. That's a beautiful car. I'm, I'm happy for the guy. You know, it must drive really well. It must be so comfortable. And wow, you know, I, I don't know what that's like, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'm a little jealous. But, you know, jealous can be good or bad. But envy, envy is something altogether different. Envy says, no, my neighbor in his car. Oh, I don't want him to have that car. He doesn't deserve that car. Only I deserve that car. I'm going to blow the car up so he can't have it. That's different than jealousy. Envy is altogether evil. Jealousy can be good, but it also can be bad. It goes both ways. Envy is always and everywhere wrong. You can find more about that as, as uh, Scott uh, comments on that on page 78 of a father who keeps his promises. But also, I want to read to you in uh, 1 John chapter 3, starting around verse 4, uh, we see that the, uh, the beloved disciple there actually sort of hits on this whole topic of Cain and Abel. He says, starting in verse 4, quote, Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who does right is righteous, and he is righteous. He who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God commits sin, for God's nature abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this it may be seen who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, and not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. 
See, Abel brought his firstlings, his best portion, to God to offer it back, or whereas Cain just brought whatever he had. So Cain was obviously very selfish as a person. And can't you relate to that, your own selfishness? I know I can. You know, my I see my own selfishness a lot, and, and, and I, can, I can relate to that. You know, I don't want to give him my best. I want to keep the best for me. Well, that is evil. That leads us down the wrong path, and that's exactly why Cain's offering was rejected. And because of his own selfishness and his own lack of, uh, of ability to, to repent and do penance, then he, you know, falls into the sin of envy, which leads to the death of his brother, Abel, lying there on the ground. And we see yet another scenario, like in Genesis 3, when God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, confronting Adam and Eve, calling them out from hiding in the bushes and saying, what have you done? Does, does God not know what they've done? Of course God knows what they've done. There's no hiding from God. God sees all things, the all things those even those in secret god knows what's going on so god knows that cain has murdered abel he knows that the blood of abel is on the ground and he he confronts cain and says you know your brother's blood is crying out to me what have you done he's coaxing him out he's coaxing the confession out of him this is a lot like what parents do to children you know when like i think i used before the example of my son stealing from the cookie jar I know my son stole from the cookie jar. I'm trying to get him to admit it. I'm trying to get him to confess his sin. And that's exactly what God is doing, giving us the, the, the reflection, the shadow of the foreshadowing of the future sacrament of reconciliation. The model is right here. Father meeting us halfway, coaxing the sins out of us, and then giving us penance for our sins once we have a contrite heart. Now here, what's interesting is part of the penance for Cain is that he has to uh, be exiled, basically, from Eden, and he's placed a mark on his head because he was afraid that, you know, they would people would try to uh, slay him because he was a wanderer in the land. And so God places a mark on him and says, nobody can kill you. If they do, there'll be curses. This is part of his penance. You have to live out your your punishment. You know, just taking Cain's life is not going to work. He has to actually live in penance. And it's interesting, this comparing and contrasting with Cain and having this mark on him to in Revelation one day, we'll see the people of God having a mark on them too. So again, this the subtle details of the salvation plan of God on how we see the opposites all the time. We always see opposites. You know, we saw opposites in Genesis chapter 3 between God and Satan. In Genesis 2, God said to Adam, you can eat from any of the trees. It's all good, except for that tree of the garden of knowledge of good and evil. That you can't, uh, you can't eat that, the fruit of that tree. If you do, on the day you eat of it, you will die. You will die the death, is what God said, actually. But in Genesis chapter 3, Satan said, surely you will not die, only saying it once. So we see opposites all the time. And here we see one again. Cain, who is of the evil line, has a mark on him. And then again, in, Je in Revelation, we'll see how there is a good line, the people of God, and they have a mark on them. They're opposites of one another. And so that's a very interesting point, I thought. But so Cain has to live out his punishment. He has to go into the wilderness in exile with this mark. And so what we see here is Cain really isn't a, a contrite um, repentant soul here. No, 
he really is still bitter and angry. He's just mad, you know, because he didn't get his way. He's very selfish and self-absorbed here. And so he goes and takes his mark and he moves to the land of Nod. And he, he, he has a wife and he bears a son. And the son's name is Enoch. Now, this is very important. Again, we need to see the subtleties here. Now, Cain has a son named Enoch. And Enoch, he builds a city and he names the city after his son Enoch. And so he's setting up a name for himself. Very, very important point. Very subtle. We're going to compare and contrast that to um, the other line. There's a good line and there's a bad line. Now, the other line comes from Adam and Eve when they, they get together again and Adam knows his wife and they bear a son. That son's name is Seth. Now, this is very important. This time, and you can read about this in Genesis chapter 5, this time it says that Seth was made in the image and likeness of his father, Adam, which basically is comparing and contrasting that to how Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, his father. And so this is comparatively different than when we saw in in Genesis chapter 4, at the very beginning when Cain was conceived, Eve said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's not the same as Seth being made in the image and likeness of of God. This is is much more linked to God the Father. And so starting in uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived a hundred and thirty years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. After his own likeness and his image. This is a link. This is telling us something very, very important. This is comparing and contrasting this to Cain, who was gotten with the help of the Lord. Seth is made in the image and likeness of the the father Adam, who was then made in the image and likeness of the father God. And so this is a good thing. This is the good line. Cain is the evil line that we'll see come to fruition throughout salvation history. And Seth is the good line also come to fruition. We'll see throughout salvation history. Now, Seth actually um, develops into what we call Shem. Because Seth grows up. Seth has children. And his son, his name is Enosh. Now, Enosh begins to call upon the name of the Lord. Literally in Hebrew, it's Shem. Very important for us to remember Shem. Shem is ultimately where we're going to get the word Semite. It'll, it'll, it becomes Semite. Now, Semites, that's, that's basically the line of the Jews. And again, today, that, that, that word is used today in today's culture, you know, and often in reference to people who do not like Jews. They're anti-Semites. Okay, now Jews are a part of that that line, but they're not the only ones. They're not the only Semitic people. There are others. And so, again, this all comes back from the name of Shem, the name, calling upon the name of the Lord. And so, Shem's son, not Shem, but Seth's son, Enosh, compared and contrast that to Cain's son, Enoch. Cain built a city, named it after his son Enoch, building a name for himself. Shem has a son named Enosh, whose sons his son Enosh calls upon the name of the Lord. One it builds a name for himself, and the other calls upon the name of God. A good line and a bad line. And so automatically we see that from the sin of Adam, his own family is now broken. It's broken. 
It's in two. It's in turmoil. His son Cain murders his other son Abel and goes on to have other sons who who are, are more selfish and more evil than himself. And then Seth, his other son, is now calling upon the name of, of the Lord. His, his son Enosh calls upon the name of the Lord. This is a good thing. This is a restoration. This is making up. And so we see these two lines growing through salvation history. In fact, through the line of Cain, the evil line, ultimately we get to uh, Lamech. Now, Lamech, at the, uh, we actually read how Lamech takes on multiple wives. This is the very beginning. This is the first reference to any sort of uh, polygamy found in sacred scripture. We find that in chapter 4, starting around verse uh, 23. It says, quote, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, hearken to what I say. I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now here, a couple of things are important. One, we see that, as I said, Lamech had multiple wives. The first reference to polygamy. Again, this is abusing the marital covenant formed by God himself there in Genesis chapter 2. And so when when a man leaves his his parents, he is joined to his wife and they become one. That was the intent. That's what Jesus quotes in the Gospels, that from the very beginning, this was what it was supposed to be. But through the evil line of Cain, through his sin and selfishness, Lamech takes on for himself more than one wife. And then he also commits another murder, just like his 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 uh, father in the in the family through uh, generations earlier, Cain, who murdered his brother Abel. Lamech is now murdering as well. And what's interesting is the the use of the the seven here. Again, very significant number in sacred scripture, as we as we've already talked about on several occasions. Seven actually is used to to seal covenants, but. Dr. Hahn says on page 80 of A Father Who Keeps His Promises, quote, Unbridled lust is accompanied by violence. So the arrogant Lamech boasted to his wives, I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain has avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. As we've seen, the number seven is a covenant symbol. Here it signifies the maturation of evil over time in the line of Cain. This is very significant. This is that evil line coming to a head here. This is becoming very evident to us, and it actually gets worse as we go. But more than just the evil line, here in a minute we're going to talk about how the good line starts to mingle with the bad one. So again, not good. Even though the good line had a great start with the son of Seth, Enosh calling upon the name of the Lord, comparing and contrasting that once again to making a name for himself, the son Enoch of Cain. But they do mingle, and we're going to get into that here in a moment. Before moving on to my last point, I just wanted to bring up and remind you of the of how we compare and contrast the account in Genesis 3 of of the confession, as I like to call it, of God walking in the cool of the day, calling them out. Uh, to Luke chapter 15 and that, that, that parable of the prodigal son that our Lord gave to us. Very important, because in that comparison, we see that there is an older sibling and a younger sibling. And we fit those roles for Adam and Eve, where Adam was the older and Eve was the younger. Eve had integrity when she had to go through her confession. And she just said, look, I was beguiled and I ate. 
Adam, he had no integrity. He was angry. He said, it was that woman, that woman that you gave me. So we see that he sort of fits the role of the older sibling in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, where the the older son was mad at the father. What do you mean you're going to throw a a party for this younger boy who took your money and ran and, and, and squandered it? I've been working for you every day. I've done everything good. I'm hanging out. I'm working hard. And you don't ever give me a calf for my buddies. He was angry. And the father had to say, look, your, your brother was dead. And now he's alive. You should be happy. He's back here. So now we see here, again, siblings. One's older, one's younger. Cain and Abel. Cain is the older one. Abel is the younger one. Cain is the one who murders the younger one. Cain is the one who's angry. Now compare and contrast to Cain and Seth. Cain is the older one. Seth is the younger one. Cain is angry. And his anger persists. He becomes, he grows further and further into his own sinfulness, his own jealousy, his own envy, his own um, murderous rage. And he develops a whole line that tries to make a name for itself over time. It's all about self versus Seth who is the younger one, who has some integrity here. His son, Enosh, calls upon the name of the Lord. Their name is not to themselves, their name is to God. They don't point to themselves, they point to God. Again, very important that we see the link between the older and the younger sibling. The same same stream will continue throughout salvation history. And that's one of the more more powerful ways that we can start to see when we, we hear the words of our Lord there in Luke chapter 15, giving us the story of, of uh, the prodigal son, the father with his two sons, one older, one younger, and how they react. We can start to see how we can sort of bring to life these Old Testament accounts and how much they will have a significant role in the New Testament fulfillment of these Old Testament typologies. Again, very, very, just just a juicy little meaty little tidbit here in the Old Testament that we can bite into and get a lot out of. Uh, you know, can you can you just taste all that flavor? It just, it's never ending the depths and the layers of Scripture. It, that's why I love studying salvation history. Now, let's get into a very difficult passage really quick before we end the show. Starting in Genesis chapter 6, quote, When men began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took to wife such of them as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, but his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Then Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. Now, that's see, a lot of people have uh, had difficulty with this. You've heard all kinds of um, interpretations. A lot of folks have said, and I've actually heard this myself, said, well, this, these are angels. These are angels having relations with these daughters of men. But actually, Scott Hahn likes to point out that this can't be true. And the reason why is because nowhere in, in Genesis are angels referred to as the men of renown or the sons of God. And the other part is, you know, he says that actually, you know, uh, people like Augustine and Aquinas, they've all pointed out that 
you know, angels, they have no bodies. They're non-corporeal. They have no bodies. They're pure spirits. And so by default, they can't really have relations with women and, and conceive children. Now, although our Lord was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is God. He can do whatever he wants. Angels, however, they're a little more on the finite side of things than the infinite. And so we can't stretch that too far. Now, but in fact, the men of renown, this is actually a very significant key because in Hebrew, quote, you find this on page 81, quote, in Hebrew, the men of renown means literally the men of Shem, the men of the name. So we see that this is the good line here, the good line looking upon the the daughters of the bad line and, and saying, wow, they look pretty attractive to me. And then the, the, the point that they take as many as they desire or they take as they marry as they please. This is a subtle reference to polygamy going on. And so we see again that polygamy now is an evil in the world, and it's starting to set up even in the good line. And so they have now mixed relationships with the bad line. Again, evil taking its root in the family of God in a more full way. This brings about the flood, how God wants to start over, wipe out all this. He doesn't want the line of Cain to continue on. He needs to wipe it out because it's become so evil. And that sets us, sets up the stage for Noah and his sons, one of which is Shem, the name. And again, we'll see this making a name for himself again next. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Log on to the website, www.catholichack.com, for more information on Matt Marr, who brought us into the show. His song there was called Just Like You from his album, The End and the Beginning. Matt Marr is a great Catholic musician, and that single was from the NCYC conference just about two weeks ago. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you, so please pray for me. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.